Welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans Who Love America, <clears throat> episode 33. Going to give some encouraging updates about gun law reform. I like to circle back on stories I talk about. <clears throat> Last time we talked about Israel and Palestine and the fact that the responsibility now lies with Israel having won the 11-day war, which would be great to have a name for it, um, last May in 2021, um, in defending itself <coughs> um, from a barrage of 2,000 rockets, I believe was the count, from Hamas, the Palestinian terrorist organization, and the Palestinian Authority sanction, and who knows what everyday Palestinians think about that. It's all lumped in, it's kind of muddled, lush, you know, where Israel does not have a terrorist organization. They have a, they have a military. They don't have any recognizable terrorist organizations, even though um, a lot of Palestinian sympathizers would try to insinuate that they are. They are not, anyway. <clears throat> Let's see. Do they behave perfectly? They definitely do not. But no one recognized terrorist organizations similar to Hamas. They do not possess in Israel. Let's be clear on the facts. Um, so really, as I was saying at the last time, and I won't go on, um, you know, it's really kind of cajoling Israel, all of our allies cajoling Israel, to kind of remind it that it is no longer Daniel San, you know, from the Karate Kid pre-tournament days. I like that analogy. Um, you know, Daniel San won the tournament. The Karate Kid won. And is the stronger, is the victor, is the Iron Dome forever? The Iron Dome is not going anywhere. The Iron Dome will only get stronger. So... <clears throat> With that strength and victory and the stronger, which is, I feel, still a relatively new identity for the Israelis and the Jews particularly, comes the understanding that all strong countries and all strong nations understand, <coughs> strong democratic countries, I should say, strong democratic nations, I should say, strong parliament nations, I should say, which is then you show that much more mercy to your opposition. So, you know, is it appropriate now to have these West Bank settlements, which I still don't know really why anyone would want to live there on that side. Is it nice? Is the view pretty? What is the advantage? It's really far away from Israel. I mean, from the Jerusalem. Is there some reason? Is there some resources? Good jobs out there? Or is it just my hunch of we're going to occupy to show them, meaning the Palestinians, that we can, and to just be a reminder. Okay, but that was before the war. That Israel won, that was before the Iron Dome. Is that level of stick it to you-ness needed now at this point? I put it to Israel. Is this needed now? Probably not. Is it that difficult, <coughs> Difficult, excuse my allergies, to be uh, able to negotiate with Palestine and just have a compromise on the two-state solution, co-ownership, co-shared everything, um, co-governing <clears throat> of a third independent sovereign nation 
for the disputed areas. I don't think it's that difficult. Um, I do think the challenge, again, is for Israel to accept its identity as the victor and the stronger. And I don't know that Hamas knew. I mean, maybe they did. But I don't know that they knew that Israel would totally whip them um, and have very minimal casualties on Israel's side. I don't know that the Hamas understood that. Now they do. They haven't tried again, have we noticed? So... Yeah, I mean, when you're used to being bullied, like, I don't know, for all eternity as a Jew, I'm not Jewish, but, you know, you can, one can empathize that has a heart, that is. Um, you know, when you're bullied for all eternity, it's weird and different and a change to be like, oh, I'm the cool kid now. <laughs> I'm the cool kid. Oh, yeah, that's right. We can whoop you. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no Roman Empire either breathing down our neck. Okay, well, hmm. Yeah, so that's what I think is happening. It's a psychological um, pause and a reassessment and Israel needs to step into its victory. And with that mercy extra to the losers, who would be the Palestinians in this case, Um, And, you know, for Israel to correct what the UN is responsible for making all this mischief in the first place with its thoughtlessness to the Palestinians. If you want to be mad at anyone, be mad at the UN. They're the ones that part and parceled up the property and said, here, what are the Jews who are beaten down and battered and starved and God knows just kind of crumbling from World War II supposed to do? Litigate? (laughs) I think not. I think they were going to be, thank you, this is owed us, thank you. So that was, you know, the UN's fault. And now it's for Israel to remedy. I do believe that. I'm not convinced of anything else. So stiff-neckedness can be a problem with said Jew. Yeah, right? The stiff-neckedness or the stubbornness. I'm sure there's a Yiddish word. I don't know it. Or a Hebrew word. It's a quality. They know what it is. Um, <clears throat> and it's a survival technique. But, again, iron dome. Iron dome. So, also, Jehovah favors those who show mercy. As they have all been shown. Tremendous mercy. So, it's a Jehovah thing. So... That's all I can say <laughs> to make sense of this. And for praying for Israel, I think that would help for everybody to pray for Israel to step into this new victorious identity and for their head change. One cannot imagine what it would be like <clears throat> to be from the Jewish lineage of unending PTSD throughout ge- every generation. There is none to compare, not even the Native Americans and not BIPOC. Um, Israel's unique in that way. The Jews are unique in that way. They have the longest record of suffering. No one can relate <coughs> except them to the level, right? But those of faith know that Jehovah favors. He has them. They have him. That is never changing. So they do have a greater power to draw on, yet again, also greater responsibility then to what? Mercy. 
So I do believe Jewish leaders like know this in their soul and their heart. And then there's that like conditioning. So that's up against it. So there's got to be some intervention going on a spiritual level, societal level, psychological level. And a reminder, you know what? You're strong now. You don't need to act as if you're not. And you'll only get stronger. So, I mean, I just don't like anything associated with the word apartheid, you know, um, on the Jewish conscience, frankly. It's ugly. Um, it's, uh, it's a stain. Um, it's unholy, so to speak. And it was necessary at the time, <clears throat> but not now. So we are all at this era of righting of wrongs, of trying to do what we can to remedy with the indigenous groups around the world, reparations of slavery. Um, this is the consciousness level that people are at to try to make things better. I think it's a good thing. Okay, so that's wrapping up. That's a 10-minute wrap-up. I have all the answers (laughs) to every single problem. Just kidding. I don't, but I feel like I have a lot of answers. Okay, let's talk about Iran. Not a fan. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm writing it down. <coughs> this is from Jerusalem Post last Tuesday. No author. Oh, no, unauthored. C.V. Joffrey. Iran should withdraw from nuclear non-proliferation treaty. This is reports or representative, perhaps. Iran, that's how you say it, should withdraw from the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, NPT. An article on the front page of Iranian Kayan newspaper affiliated with Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei, Khamenei, I don't know how to say his name, urged on Tuesday. The article cited the stalling of talks and a return to the JCPOA nuclear talks, a wave of pressure on Iran, the continued reluctance of the U.S. to lift sanctions, and recent reports by the International Atomic Energy Agency against Iran as reason for Iran to withdraw from NPT, calling such a move the minimum solution for Iran's diplomatic apparatus. Hmm, I smell a rat. Withdraw from NPT's high-pressure leverage could be a strong response to the U.S. and European approach to the Islamic Republic of Iran's nuclear activities, read the Kayan article. But they're just saying that they're powering their country. Right. No one believes that. The West is concerned that NPT, a treaty whose general split is to contain non-nuclear weapon states, will fail and a domino effect will begin as countries withdraw from the treaty. (coughs) The article added that withdrawal from non-proliferation treaty has more benefits than membership and that Iran could withdraw from the NPT by activating Article 10 of the treaty, which allows a party to leave if it determines that extraordinary events related to subject matter of this treaty have jeopardized the supreme interest of his country. 
what would the supreme interest of Iran be? I don't know. Could it be trying to destroy Israel with a nuclear weapon? Probably so. If it decides to withdraw, Iran will have given notice to the other parties, to NPT as well as the UN. We'll have to give notice, sorry, to the other parties, to NPT as well as UN, Security Council, three months in advance. Oh, yay, we get a heads up. The Kahan article complained that the IEA had become a political tool for the U.S. and Europe with false reports in coordination with criminal Zionist regime. With the criminal Zionist regime. Um, again, criminal Zionist. Well, Zionist is the Jews' right to govern themselves, which I support wholeheartedly. They more than deserve the right to govern themselves. Zionist is not a dirty word. It's an earned word from all of the suffering they've endured. So I wouldn't call it criminal. Thank you very much. Now, again, I need to make right with the Palestinian people, but no, nothing wrong with being a Zionist. Hossein Shara Madari, the managing editor of Kaihan, I can't say any of these names, claimed to the Iranian Fars news agency on Monday that the West dispute with Iran is not about the Islamic Republic's alleged move toward nuclear weapon. It is kind of, though. Shara Madari complained that the former Iranian government, led then by President Hassan Rouhani, opposed proposals to withdraw from NPT, saying that unfortunately the proposal was abandoned very soon. The Kian editor pointed out that Israel is not a member of the NPT, claiming that Israel was provided with nuclear weapons by the U.S. Darn right. France and Britain. Darn right. Although Israel denies owning any nuclear weapons. Well, I don't think that that's true. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm pretty sure Israel owns nuclear weapons. Or if they don't, then, you know, we have so many to lend. So (laughs) they indirectly own them. It may not be on their soil. It's fine. The IEEE is silent about the countries that have officially and openly violated the provision of NPT and it focused all its efforts on Iran, which it knows it does not seek to develop, which it knows it does not seek to develop nuclear weapons. I'm sure. And under the pretext of inspections, it obtains latest military. Well, this is propaganda. Military information and details of our country's scientists and provides the enemies of Iran with pictures of sabotage and nuclear military facilities and assassination of our country's scientists. Okay, said Shamari D. Defars. All the evidence suggests that nuclear challenge is just an excuse and the only way forward is for us to get the excuse out of the enemy is to use Article 10 of NPT withdraw from the treaty. Support growing in Iran for an anti-nuke <coughs> fatwa to be revoked. A fatwa is Islamic religious decree. Listed on Khomeini's official English language website, states that the Islamic Republic of Iran considers the use of nuclear chemical similar weapons as a great and unforgivable sin. I don't know that that's the case. We propose the idea of of Middle East free of nuclear weapons. We are committed to it. This well, then why are you enriching uranium to a level of nuclear weapons that's far beyond your power needs? So please, this does not mean foregoing our right to peaceful use of nuclear power and production of nuclear fuel. Yeah, into the nuclear weapon level of enriching uranium. We've been watching you. Who do you think you're fooling here? No one. Former Iranian diplomat Amir Musavi told IMIDN TV on Monday that there's a growing call in Iran for Khamenei to reconsider his fatwa against the use of nuclear weapons. 
warning that they thought, well, it may be seen as a weakness and maybe a basis for assassinations and other attacks against Iran. Lee, last year, Mousavi stated that a fatwa is not a permanent, according to Jafari <coughs> Shiite jurisprudence, a fatwa is issued in accordance with developing circumstances. Therefore, I believe it's Americans and Zionist acts in dangerous manner that fatwa might be changed. Well, we're not going to act in a dangerous manner, but we are going to let you know that you dare not use your enriching of uranium for nuclear weapons or we will launch a full-scale defense. So there. <coughs> Despite... <coughs> I just can't stop coughing. I think it's just pollen overload. Despite Kamani's fatwa in April, former Iranian MP Ka. Uh, Ali Motari stated from the very beginning Iran had begun nuclear activity with the goal to build a bomb and strengthen the deterrent forces. A nuclear bomb, I would guess. Motari added that Iran could not maintain the secrecy. Of course not. And the issues in the secret ports were revealed by a group of hypocrites, seemingly led to the plan to be abandoned. So you were lied and you caught, and now you're calling us hypocrites because you were caught. Okay, cute. If we like Palestinian, Pal- sorry, if we like Pakistan, could secretly make and test bombs, it would be very deter- it would be very deterrent. Motari stated, "When we started something, we should have seen it to the end." Motari has committed the past that Tehran can still make a nuclear bomb. Yeah, we know. Despite Konami's fatwa. Again, such weapons, because the fatwa only forbids the use of a bond, not the creation of one. Mm-hmm. Draft revolution against Iran submitted to IAEA board. U.S., Britain, Germany, France have submitted to the U.N. Nuclear Watchdog Board a draft resolution criticizing Iran for not fully answering the watchdog's questions on uranium traces at undeclared sites, a move that is likely to anger Iran. Well, I don't care if they're angry. If they're being shady, they're not being transparent. Um, The allies have a right to know this. Several diplomats have said the resolution was likely to pass easily despite warnings by Iran of retaliation and consequences that could further undermine. This sounds very China to me. Already stalled talks on rescuing the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. Iran's ally Russia, ally Russia, mind you. Iran's ally Russia, let's just get that through our heads, opposes such a resolution. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi stated on Monday that Iran is going to cross the uranium enrichment already has needed to already did that was last week needed to create a nuclear bomb stressing this cannot be avoided. <clears throat> Grossi has lamented in recent weeks that Iran has failed to provide credible explanations about the IEA's findings at three undeclared locations in the country, including tracing of nuclear material. It sounds very coronavirus with China. So, Iran, you're outraged. You're pissed off. You don't like that the Allies want to poke our nose in your business, and yet you're not transparent. You're not being honest. It's not about your power sources. And it's just about anti-Semitism. Let's be super clear on that. And we know it. And whether you ever admit it or not doesn't matter. Okay. I don't know that I care about 
Um, curbing Russia's oil revenue. That's, that's too much. Okay. There's some happy news, too. Let me just... Oh, I want to talk about more good things that U.S. is doing. Um, so IBM begins laying off its entire Russian workforce. Yes. <clears throat> There's a couple articles like this. Starbucks as well. This isn't by Engadget last Tuesday by Amrita Khalid. Let me see if it's a longie. Is this a long article? No, it's not. Is it? Wait. No, it's not. Okay. I think this is positive. IBM will begin orderly wind-down of operations in Russia, according to a memo from CEO Arvind Krishna that was recently public today. The company suspended business operations in the country back in March, joining a wave of other Western companies that chose to either halt sales or pull out Russia completely following its invasion of Ukraine. Despite no longer doing business in Russia, IBM kept paying its Russia-based employees. But U.S. sanctions on Russian banks have made it harder for the company to pay its Russian-based workforce, writes Reuters reported last month. The wind-down means IBM will also terminate the employment of its Russia-based workforce. This process will commence today and result in the separation of our local workforce. Our colleagues in Russia have, though through no fault of their own, endured months of stress and uncertainty. We recognize this news is difficult. We want to assure them that IBM will continue to stand by them, take all reasonable steps to provide support, and make their transition as orderly as possible, wrote Krishna on the memo. The company told investors that no longer be doing business with Russia. A very little impact on its bottom line. Russia is a very de minimis part of IBM. The company's finance head, Jim Cavanaugh, said first quarter earnings in April, Russia accounted for 0.5% of IBM's total revenue last year, or $300 million of its total revenue, except $57.4 billion. IBM has a number of high-profile customers in Russia, including federal banks, energy companies, Russian railways. The company has even held Think Summit in Moscow back in 2019, where it highlighted its many Russian clients. But since March, the company has stopped providing goods, parts, software services, consulting essentially since the war in Ukraine, and technology to Russian companies. Yeah, I think that's a good move. Um, you know, we have to light a fire too under the Russian people to overthrow um, Putin. Vladimir Putin. It's no longer acceptable to just be a Russian citizen, be detached, and be an innocent bystander. Um, your leader is evil. Russia, you know, Russian leaders are evil. And government needs to be overthrown. And until so, I think American companies should pull their workforce out of Russia. Whether it's Starbucks, whether it's IBM, everything. We need Russians, everyday Russian citizens to go, yeah, we don't want to be part of this either. And start chaos within their own country, which always then beckons people to the rescue. It's the stagnant, I'm not, it's not me, I'm just a cog in the wheel. That doesn't work. So get the message, Russians. Russian citizens, that is. And be bothered. Okay, I'm reading what else. I think there was another one. <laughs> no, but I know Starbucks, they did the same thing. So let's talk about gun control.
Let's see about this New York Times issue, unless it's too long. a while to pull up the whole thing and if someone's long-winded bye-bye a lot to cover this isn't terribly long this is new york times by jonah bromwich tuesday last tuesday new york officials fear supreme court ruling will mean more gun crime Every weekday morning, a nondescript office building in downtown Manhattan, representatives from dozens of law enforcement agencies meet to discuss gun arrests and shootings in New York City the day before. Already this year, New York Police Department have recovered more than 3,000 guns, and such arrests have hit a 28-year high. But across the city and state, authorities are bracing for the ruling, especially to come down from the U.S. Supreme Court this month, which could strike down a century-old New York state law that places strict limits on the carrying of handguns. Overturning the law could make it far easier for to legally carry a handgun in the state, which officials say may have violent consequences for cities already struggling to tamp down a spike in gun crime that began two years ago. A lot more people are now going to go want to go out and get a gun, and for all the wrong reasons, said Richard Aborn, president of the nonprofit Decisions Crime Commission. I have people telling me they decided to get a gun that I never dreamed would go out and get it done. They never, they're not going to use it illegally, but they're feeling they need to arm themselves in a way I've not seen before. And if more New Yorkers are armed, what would otherwise have been minor confrontations could turn deadly. Definitely. When the Supreme Court heard arguments over the law, in November, a number of justices appeared predisposed against it, leading experts to believe that the law is likely to be struck down. If that happens, the ramifications could reach beyond New York. A handful of other states, including California, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, have several laws, similar laws that could be invalidated. New York State requires anyone who wants to purchase a handgun to apply for a state license. There's additional level of scrutiny for people who want a license that allows them to carry their gun outside their house. Two petitioners before the Supreme Court, both upstate New Yorkers, are challenging the laws governing the carrying of handguns, though gun control advocates in the state worry that the rules for acquiring handguns will be next. 25 states now allow their citizens to carry guns without a permit. The major of those, majority of those laws have passed in the last decade. A number have passed in two years, including Ohio and Georgia. In New York, Governor Kathy Hochul has said that she would consider calling a special session of state legislature if the, outlaw were, if the law were overturned. And after shooting a <coughs> buffalo last month, which a teenager motivated by racism killed 10 black people at a grocery store, she brought up the law unprompted, saying her administration was preparing for state for what could be a Supreme Court decision that allows people to carry concealed weapons. We're ready. A spokeswoman for the governor declined to elaborate further on the preparations. Um, yeah, I would not feel safer when there is tons of people with open carry all around me. Definitely not. Mm -mm. Um, anyway. Don't like it. So let's talk about Ohio, I believe it is. Starting Monday.
This is Mansfield New Journal by Lou Whitmore. Mansfield New Journal yesterday, starting Monday, no license needed to carry a concealed handgun. Starting Monday, Senate Bill 215 takes effect, allowing qualifying adults in Ohio to carry a concealed handgun they legally own without the need for a concealed handgun license. Richland County Sheriff J. Steve Selden said qualifying adults are 21 or older, legal residents, no fugitives, not subject to protection order, have not been hospitalized or adjudicated mentally ill, and have not been dishonorably discharged from the military, do not have a conviction or delinquency for a felony, a drug offense, domestic violence, one misdemeanor offense of violence within three years or two within five years, are not otherwise forbidden under state or federal law. Additionally, Sheldon said he would like to remind visitors to the Richland County Administration Building Courts that regards to the recent changes in Ohio's concealed carry law, deadly weapons are still prohibited in the buildings, which is a courthouse is located, such as a county office building and courthouse. Ohio Law Section 2923.123 still makes it a felony crime to bring in or have a deadly weapon in dangerous ordinance in a courthouse or in another building in which a courtroom is located, except for law enforcement officers and their official duties. Sheldon said. Eight hours of weapon training will no longer be required. Until Monday, Ohio law has required concealed carry permits and to attend eight hours of training, including two hours spent at a gun range firing the weapon. Those permits will still be available for people who want to carry across certain state lines, but they will be optional for those carrying across Ohio, according on a Stauber report for USA Today. Mansfield Police Chief Keith Porch said, personally, I've never been opposed to legally able and law-abiding citizens carrying firearms, but the new constitutional carry law eliminates two important components as it relates to CCW law, which is training and law enforcement notification. I believe the training aspect speaks for itself. Do we allow people to drive vehicles or fly airplanes, airplanes without training? No, for obvious reasons. Mansfield Police Department spends 13500 annually to conduct quarterly firearms training. In my opinion, not enough, but there are budgets to consider. Under the current CC law, eight hours of training is required, which covers basic firearm safety, which makes sense and was foolish to remove. At least the basic fundamentals of firearm safety are recovered, even if that person never advances one step further with the firearm training. Have no mistake, firearm training is a perishable skill that I've seen in nearly 30 years of law enforcement. When it comes to using a firearm in any scenario, you're only as good as the training you've received, and those scenarios usually involve high levels of stress. Second, law enforcement notification under the new law, a person carrying a firearm is not required to inform an officer they are carrying, but cannot lie if they're asked. It only makes sense a person carrying a firearm would and should inform the officer what they're carrying when a law enforcement inter- interaction occurs. Remember, we're talking about law-abiding citizens. These people who do not tell officers they're carrying, in my experience, are 100% involved in criminal activity, Porch said. As a citizen, if I was stopped by an officer and I was carrying, I would immediately inform the officer I was carrying. You were asked an officer, um, you were asking an officer to access that intersection. Traffic stop call for service in a matter of seconds and hoping that there's no misunderstandings in determining who the law-abiding citizen of the criminal is, he said. Even though it's not in the constitutional carry law, I would strongly recommend training with firearms immediately informing an officer if you're carrying, if a law enforcement interaction occurs. Let's hope for the best, he said Wednesday in a statement. That's from law enforcement.
<clears throat> the commentary in the Ohio law there. Don't know if I'll be going to Ohio anytime soon. Ooh. Mm. We don't need no stinking training. Sure you do. Let's hear some positive. So this is a follow-up from my previous um, previous uh, episode. Not the most recent, but recent. So remember about that gun buyback day that Marin County was going to do in California? Which I think is the answer, frankly. I wish Michael Moore would talk more on that. Um, this is from Patch, Gideon Rubin, last Thursday. 28 assault rifles turned in at San, Francisco, San Rafael gun buyback. San Rafael, a Marin gun buyback over the weekend brought in 552 firearms, the law, the authority said. That's pretty good. All Marin law enforcement agencies in the Marin County District Attorney's Office were involved in the program, which was hosted by the city of San Rafael. More than $50,000 was paid out for 210 rifles, 193 handguns, 149 shotguns, the San Rafael Police Department said. Of the weapons brought in, 28 were assault rifles, 7 were illegally modified, shortened barrels or stocks, 4 were classified as unserialized ghost guns, 3 were AR-15 variants, and others were pistol, who had two serial numbers filed off. Approximately 11,000 rounds of ammo was turned in. So what that program is, is it's a county level, local level, which is what we really need to do in this country. Yes, we also have to do federal and state. We can never forget local level. Never forget the local yokels, okay? They'll change the world. And so at a county level, um, the county law enforcement working with county DA's office sponsor a gun buyback day where they set a price, and the deal is no questions asked. And the deal is you have to have the armament and ammo in the trunk of your car sealed or, like, closed, not in the back of the car or whatnot. Um, so it's, there's a process that you go through. But the in, the emphasis is no questions asked, which is going to glean the most amount of participation, right? And I think 552 firearms turned in over a weekend of a gun buyback um, effort is amazing for a city the size of San Rafael. So... This is what we need to do. I want Michael Moore to pay attention, if you're out there, and foster this every month, every week, every weekend, twice a week, well, however many times that we can do gun buyback at the county level, at the city level, and make it easy for people in their local jurisdictions in their local neighborhoods to not have to commute very far to drive or take other forms of transportation to this type of a thing and walk away with a nice big fat check. Yeah. Um, if we did this all the time, eventually the guns would be collected. 
So sure, it's important for, you know, Joe Biden, the administration, the state level, the local level, senators, everybody to, you know, do what they can to help gun control laws. Sure. There's a lot you can do right now on the local level with this type of thing. And if you ignore it, don't want to participate in it, I mean, it makes sense that the schools would get involved somehow, too. I don't know how that would work exactly, but um, I don't know if the drop-off location is at a police department. Um, maybe a percentage of government, you know, say a certain amount of weapons are turned in at a buyback. Maybe the government pitches in, credits that buyback effort, and that money goes to the schools. Could help, you know, be a solution. And what would the money go for? I don't know, improving safety in schools. Um, one entrance, one exit, or whatever modifications need to be made, too. But my true belief is that we just have a clunky government structure compared to our parliament allies. And so we have to work with it. Um, you know, it's fine to be a far leftist um, swimming in your own pool of reality of what you want our government to be and daydream away and be an idealist, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, it all happens through the rule of law, which is sobering, which is challenging, which is difficult, which we still don't all understand. It takes experts still to this day to figure out exactly what presidential powers our president has or does not have, um, and all of these other people involved um, to spell out the basics. So these local yokel efforts um, are gleaning answers, and 552 guns are now in the hands of law enforcement and off the streets in one weekend. And I think this is the new PTA uh, fundraiser. <laughs> I think this is the new bake sale. I think this needs to be the patient teacher, parent teachers association objective to get people to sign up and go door to door to like, do you want to turn in your firearms? Here's the check. Here's a buyback day. You know, you know, this is the movement, the grassroots movement that will help. In the meantime, while the higher-ups in our country try to work out what they can do on a state and federal level. There's a lot we can do on local level. Okay. And obviously the money is an incentive. Okay, gun buyback. I think it's a success. So, um... This was interesting. This was a Republican contribution because this is better together after all, not just my Democratic Party. This is from last Wednesday, Washington Examiner, typically a conservative news outlet. A big solution to gun violence by uh, reps Michael Burgess and Drew Ferguson. Our hearts are broken over the recent string of mass shootings. While debates stream across America, um, many have doubts that Congress will deliver any meaningful change. Well, that's only because Republicans will not deliver meaningful change. I mean, we're fine with the Democrats and the Congress side on that. So let's just be clear on that. Um, 
It feels like our nation's on a treadmill with the same arguments playing over and over. After every tragedy, it's time to get off this wheel and look at proven solutions that equip communities and schools with the tools they need to prevent the next trauma. Sounds like this Republicans are getting involved here. Like they're caring. One such tool is the Behavioral Intervention Guidelines Act, or simply the Big Act. If enacted, the bill would empower schools and local communities with the resources necessary to ensure the safety and health of each student. It would do so by developing best practices for school to establish behavioral health intervention teams, which can be used evidence-based tactics to identify students who are at risk of harming themselves or others and address the mental health behavioral needs. Wait, did I just read that Republicans care about mental health? Of our students, and is this for real? Sounds so Democratic Party. The legislation is conceived through the innovative programs at two public universities Columbus State University, Columbus, Georgia, and Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. Columbus State developed its program to help students get the support needed before a problem develops into a crisis. That sounds very preventative and, dare I say, progressive. Columbus State shared with us a success story about a top-performing student whose grades had suddenly inexplicably slipped and he had been starting fights. What changed with the student looked at the bigger picture. Instead of isolated events, the university realized the student was about to be unable to register for the next quarter because he was behind on tuition payments. After identifying the problem, they were able to talk with the student and learn that he had been working two jobs to earn money since his father lost his job and didn't have the resources to help him finish. I think what could have happened if Columbus State had not intervened. A student could have reached a point in spiral where he could never finish college, and even worse, he could have hurt himself or others. So, wait, you're saying it's your problem. It's not not my problem. I like this. See, Republicans are turning it, turning it around here a little bit, in the caring. I know. Texas Tech's University Health Sciences Center program evolved through the work it was doing in telehealth. Understanding the university in rural areas helped me help half an hour away or more. Texas Tech's programs provided training for behavioral health intervention and telebehavioral health services at school at rural West Texas. It's important than ever that schools and communities have guidance on how to provide behavioral health resources for students and able to prevention, intervention, early treatment, and mental health conditions. I think the Democrats have been saying that forever. Nice. I love it. These children can help get help before the conditions worsen and reach a crisis level. Yeah. The Center for Disease Control Prevention conducted a study from 2014-2018 found one in six students met the criteria for childhood mental disorder. The reality is only worsened. CDC released a report in November 2020 on pediatric emergency department visits in mental health. They found from April-October 2020, proportion of mental health-related visits for children aged 5 to 11 increased 24% over the same period in 2019. You're using data, not just belief? It's amazing. I love this. For 12 to 17-year-old, these visits increased 31%. We cannot ignore the mental health ramifications of the coronavirus and how it's changed everybody, including our students. These statistics are staggering. Must do to what we can to enable prevention, intervention, early treatment of mental health conditions for these children before the conditions worsen and become even more serious. 
There must be a realistic vision to provide meaningful, lasting solutions while protecting Americans' constitutional rights and privacy. Communities and schools are able to look at the public factors. It's no secret that when students are struggling and causing trouble, teachers and parents are able to see a child's grades or discipline records, noting the signs a community can come together and prevent another tragedy. True. These shooters do typically have a long laundry list of, of breadcrumb trails. The key element to the big act is being non-prescriptive. It is simply saying to congregate all the best practices and figure out the system that best fits the circumstances. It allows local communities, local school systems, educational institutions to develop their own models without interference from the federal government. Damn, no feds. <laughs> There's the Republican spirit. No feds. Well, feds also. Feds serve a purpose, too, sure. If we all agree, right? If all the states agree. <laughs> Congress must act this empowering legislation. It's already passed the House of Representatives, the strong bipartisan support, and waiting for the Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to bring it to Senate floor. The big act can help prevent the next tragedy by giving students resources. I'm sure Chuck is going to improve mental, you know, approve of the big act and the mental health services. Sure. Um, you left out one very important part is, you know, banning assault rifles. <laughs> it's not a constitutional right for everybody to own a, an assault rifle. It's not a constitutional right. Now, legally, it is a constitutional right, but it should not be. That's where we're at now. I didn't say handgun, and I didn't say shotgun or hunting gun. I said assault rifle. So you forgot that part. But yes, also the mental health. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> you, you guys want to, in the Washington Examiner, want to be progressive? I'm all for it. What about Florida? Florida's got some progressiveness going on. Florida's gun control. This is from Vox. Nicole Naria. Red states aren't following Florida's lead on gun control. Republicans typically respond to mass shootings by loosening gun laws, not tightening them. That's counterintuitive. But after the 2018 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, the state became a model for how Republicans can implement gun control. Florida's Republican-controlled legislator passed a law later signed by Republican Governor Rick Scott that raised the age to buying long guns, including AR-15 rifles, from 18 to 21, required a three-day waiting period wherein a firearm is purchased and when the buyer can get access to the gun, allowed trained school staff to carry guns, and put $400 million toward mental health services and school security. It also created extreme risk law or red flag law that can bar individuals who are believed to be a danger themselves or others from possessing firearms. A measure that has gotten increasing attention in the wake of recent mass shootings is a policy solution that could draw bipartisan support nationally in other states. The Florida law is a guidepost for ongoing negotiations over gun policy in the U.S. Senate, led by Senators Chris Murphy, Dem Democratic Connecticut, and John Corian, Republican of Texas. The template for Florida is the right one, Murphy told CNN on Sunday. 
Senator Scott, then Governor Scott, passed that law in Florida because it was the right thing to do because the Republican side is good politics. We have to make a case for Republicans that right now this is a good politics. But in but some Republicans in Congress, including Scott, have argued the red flag laws ought to be left up to the states. Currently, 19 states in Washington, D.C. have red flag laws. Most of them are controlled by Democrats, with the, with, with the exception of Florida and Indiana. But particularly after recent school shootings at elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and a medical complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there have been growing calls for red states to consider something similar. Why Republicans support Florida's red flag law? Florida's red flag law allows the police to petition a judge for what's called an extreme risk protection order, which can temporarily bar an individual from having a gun for up to a year. Police have to provide evidence that the individual poses significant danger to themselves or the public, which can include recent violent acts, threats of violence. If the individual continues to pose such danger after one year, police can seek a one-time extension for another year. Since the law was enacted, Florida judges have issued extreme risk protection for more than 8,000 times. It may seem improbable that Republicans voted for such a measure given potential political risks. There's a vocal Republican minority that views the Second Amendment and the right to use a gun for self-defense as a defining part of their identity. They've mobilized around protecting that right against encroachment, much more so than the left around gun control, and are backed by well-funded gun lobby. Florida's red flag law did face opposition from right-wing activists and the National Rifle Association, whose powerful Florida lobbyist, Marion Hammer, called the Republicans who voted for it betrayers. Betrayers to your profit? I mean, sure, that's fine. Yeah, because it's really just profit in terms of those assault rifles. Uh, Republicans overcame that opposition by acting collectively. The bill was drafted by a Republican, and 75 out of 99 GOP lawmakers voted for it. The NRA did did downgrade the scorecards in response, but none suffered any career-ending consequences. Let me just say that again. The NRA did downgrade their scorecards in response, but none of them suffered any career-ending consequences. Well, I don't think their careers should be long in the hands of the NRA in the first place. I don't think the NRA should be the governing body of a lawmaker's career. So, you know, Republicans, you got to get away from big mama NRA. That's the problem. The funny thing about elected officials is they have all the power. The lobbyists can't go on the floor and press that button. So at the end, if you have the courage, you press the button and damn the torpedoes. Former GOP state Jose Olivia, who sponsored the bill in Florida House, told the Washington Post, is Florida's red flag law a blueprint for other states? Florida's red flag law has been identified as a political potential model for other red states. But at that moment, it doesn't seem as though there is a critical mass of Republicans who are interested in enacting red flag laws in states that don't already have them. That's true even in Texas, Oklahoma, where Republican lawmakers haven't budgeted in the wake of Uvalde and Tulsa shootings. There was a brief period following 2018 mass shooting at high school in Santa Fe, Texas, where the state's Republican leadership, including Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, entertained the idea of enacting a red flag law as part of the 43-page school safety plan. Abbott asked Texas lawmakers to consider it, arguing that when properly designed, emergency risk protective orders could identify those intent on violence from firearms, but in a way that preserves fundamental rights under the Second Amendment. 
But in that proposal, it went ultimately nowhere. That's in the part due from opposition for gun right activists who argue it allowed the states to take away people's guns without adequate due process. They feel that many state red flag laws are overly broad, do not guarantee a subject of extreme risk protection or order proper representation in court, and could be abused. Lawmakers and law enforcement officials in states that have red flag laws have countered that abuse is difficult and legal standards for taking away some guns are sufficiently high and doing so requires clear and convincing evidence. I would say biggest sorry where is that so the biggest concern that people have about red flag laws is that they would be abused said Brendan Steinhauser a GOP consultant in Texas and chief strategy officer for Young Americans for Liberty a conservative student activism organization that opposed red flag laws I think there's a concern we are opening the doors to take away constitutional right before there's a crime even before there's a threat of a crime since Uvalde, Abbott hasn't advocated for any gun control measures at all. Instead, he wants to further arm school officials and fundamental health interventions. But with the November election fast approaching, he's unlikely to convene a special session to address even those proposals in the interim, despite calls from Texas Democrats to do so. There is some internal disagreement in the state party about red flags. Notably, some 250 Texas gun enthusiasts, including top DOP donors, took out a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News endorsing red flag laws, among other gun control measures that could influence Texas Republicans' policies going forward, but it's unlikely to translate into immediate action, especially before the election. They represent a more business establishment wing, if you will, but they have a lot of influence in the party for sure. Steinhauser said, I just don't think it's going to lead to a red flag law. It's a similar story in Deep Red, Oklahoma, to the extent that Tulsa shooting has brought about any change on thinking gun laws. It's that Republicans are getting behind proposals to expand mental health resources, said Pat McFerrin, GOP strategist in Oklahoma. And there's a major legal barrier to passing any policy like Florida in the state. In 2020, the state legislator went as far to act <coughs> a law to prevent any national red flag law from going into effect in Oklahoma. Local governments, judges, counties, the state, no entity can implement a red flag law, nor can they accept money to implement a red flag law under the current law that we have in the books right now, says State Senator Nathan Dam, a Republican in response to that bill, told Fox affiliate KOKH. There just isn't much political impetus for Republicans in Texas and Oklahoma to institute red flag law when they only have to answer their primary voters, absent for any serious challenges and from Democrats. Those primary voters represent the most far right-wing faction of the Republican Party, the faction that is opposed to any type of gun control and favors loosening the gun laws. So while 68% of Texas voters overall support red flag laws, the 34% of Republicans who oppose them have more sway. Crazy balls. And according to McFerrin's own preliminary survey data from the Tulsa shooting, most Republican primary voters in Oklahoma will still likely see the gun controls rolled back. This, the U.S. is also in a fundamentally different political movement than the Florida passed a red, lo- red flag law in 2018. Then Democrats are riding a blue wave and help focus attention on state reforms. In 2022, they're worried about losing control of both chambers of Congress. And it's not even clear that the same measures would pass the Florida legislature today. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who's a right of Scott, has already said he would veto the bill that had been in office at the time. 
Today, said Jim Hansen, director of the Texas Politics Project at the U.S. of University of Texas in Austin, Republicans have momentum, and I think there, there's just not a, there's just not a lot of interest in spending political capital on a gun safety bill, despite the fact there are a lot of reasons for it. Kind of good to assess the climate there, of how Republicans are viewing all this around the country. And positive news in what the feds can do, in addition to the buyback on the local level, NBC News, Sahil Kapoor, Julie Zirkin, Frank Thorpe, Kyle Stewart, and Kate Santillis, last Wednesday, House passed a slate of bills to restrict access to guns and ammunition. It faces long odds in the Senate. The House on Wednesday passed a series of new gun measures, including raising minimum age semi-automatic from 1821, response to the horrific mass shootings in the country. The legislative package passed in 20, passed in a 223-204 vote, with five Republicans joining all but two Democrats in supporting the measure. You can guess which two didn't in the Dems. <clears throat> it is now heads to the evenly split Senate, which is not expected to take up legislation as negotiators attempt to craft much narrow measure designed to win enough bipartisan support to overcome a GOP filibuster. Democratic Republic Jared Golden of Maine and Kurt Schrager of Oregon opposed the bill. The five Republicans who bucked the party were rep- representatives Chris Jacobs of New York, Brian Fitzpatrick Penn, Pennsylvania, Fred Upton, Michigan, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and Adam Kinziger of Illinois. The Protecting Our Kids Act, written by Democrats, is an attempt to offer the party's vision for gun laws. Our Kids Act. Um, to pressure Republican lawmakers who are resistant to tougher limits in response to wave of mass shootings. Why? Why would someone be against raising the age so the teenagers do not have AK-47s? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Wednesday at an event with advocates seeking to reduce gun violence. Yes, they say mental health issues. Yes, we want to address mental health issues. Our countries have mental health issues. They don't have violent, They don't have a gun violence epidemic. Ahead of the vote... House Republican leaders sent an email to GOP offices presenting them to vote no on the bill, derisively labeling it Unconstitutional Gun Restrictions Act. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, Republican Louisiana, said uh, Congress should try to address the root cause of the problem. <laughs> root cause. And not impose gun restrictions. Gun restrictions, arguing that lawmakers did not airplane had did not ban airplanes after the 9/11 terrorist attacks. Airplanes were used that day as a weapon to kill thousands of people and inflict terror. That wasn't a conversation. Well, they did ground a lot of planes that day. That's not exactly true. At least the Protecting Our Kids Act included a ban on large capacity ammunition, ammunition feeding devices, and tougher penalties for gun traffic and straw purchases. It also would establish residential gun storage rules or criminal penalties for violations. All good. All helpful. Additionally, a bill would require registration for bump stock type devices and modify the definition of a ghost gun as subject to regulation. Republicans are facing some pressure to back tougher laws after recent shootings, including massacre at Robb Elementary School in Ovalde, Texas, have shocked the nation. 
U.S. adults in the CVS News poll prefer stricter gun control over less strict from a 5 to 1 margin. In the poll, 77% of respondents said minimum age to buy semi-automatic RA or 15 should be 21 if not older. The slaughter of our children is not a partisan issue. House Majority Whip Staney, Howard, Democrat of uh, Maryland, told reporters. Dim prospects in the Senate. I'm going to skim because I'm almost done here. Um, Wyoming is a very second amendment supporting state. Many people calling in, leaving our guns in the right place. I would not support that. Susan Collins of Maine makes a lot of sense. She's open to the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 